Southern California on this Tuesday, February 13th, 2024. Thank you guys for joining us live. Welcome you and the listeners and everybody else who happens to be with us. Uh, I was kind of interested about yesterday's uh, topic about speaking about the lesser famous, you know, stories, scripteds, uh, unnatural phenomena. So I think I'm going to keep it going for tonight. Uh, it's fun to expose, you know, the things that people don't really make bro- uh, podcasts about and haven't really exposed. There's a lot of stories that I hadn't personally heard yesterday. And uh, even though there's not much information about them, uh, I'm sure that uh, there's plenty of sources out there that could expand a little bit more. But with that being said, uh, it's fun to learn about all these possible new avenues of where we can kind of channel our our um, our interest, if you will, you know, uh, everything, if you look up online, there's everything is kind of been discussed ad nauseum as far as like made videos of, you know, the time travelers, the, the Bigfoots, uh, you name it. The most common things have been talked about, uh, by all. And it's, it's fun, but it gets a certain point where things become a little bit stagnant, if you will. So for, for those of us that love the paranormal and the weird, mysterious, I think exposing the things that haven't really been exposed much or that are hard to find, per se, um, you know, are fun. So that's what I want to do this this show. Thank you again for joining us. And... Um, the funny thing about February the 13th, or not February the 13th, but just uh, Tuesday the 13th, it's actually uh, in Hispanic culture, it's what we we believe the, the unlucky day to be, you know, unlike uh, in the American culture, in which they think that Friday the 13th, it's a bad day, we in the Hispanic culture believe that it's Tuesday the 13th. <clears throat> so believe it or not... Um, you know, Jason and Friday the 13th movie in Spanish, they're called Tuesday the 13th. <laughs> so I'll just do, a, I'm going to do a little uh, kind of shallow dive, if you will, in, in regards to, um, you know, why, why, why there's a difference between b- before we kind of go on and dive into our, our lesser famous strange stories. So I, I found an article here that kind of talks about why in, in some countries it's Friday and in other countries it's Tuesday the 13th. Uh, so actually Friday the 13th has a Greek origins, okay? Uh, the it was association of the 13th and Friday came from the, the Greek culture. Uh, in, I'm speaking of the Hispanic culture because we have ours as uh, Tuesday the 13th but there may be other cultures out there that may have uh, a Wednesday the 13th or a Thursday the 13th as being a bad lucky day but I know for sure that um, that in my culture is Tuesday so each culture has its own fear day 
the unlucky day is Friday the 13th. Uh, it's the most popular uh, in each, uh, you know, if you gather all these cultures that have a certain day that they fear, Friday happens to be the, the most popular one. And like I said before, other popular date is Tuesday the 13th. Some people are so affected by actually the fear of this being a bad day or a bad omen that something really bad will happen to them that they avoid their normal routines altogether, uh, i.e. doing business, taking a flight, or even getting out of bed. It's been estimated that in America, the U.S., $800, excuse me, $800 million uh, to $900 million is lost in business on this particular day. Despite this, representatives for both Delta Airlines and Continental Airlines um, have stated that their airlines were safe during those Fridays. Well, of course, uh, of course, they're going to, I mean, air travel is one of the safest. Uh, why Friday the 13th is considered as unlucky day uh, in Western superstition? It happens at least uh, once a year, but it happens even three times in the same year. For example, in 2015, the 13th fell on Fridays in February, March, and November. Interesting. A Friday the 13th occurs during any month that begins on a Sunday. Oh, that's, that's a little piece of, tri piece of trivia for you guys. So the history of the fri of Friday the 13th being unlucky, like I said earlier, goes back to the Greeks. Uh, the irrational fear of number 13 has been given a scientific name. It's called... Trisha, Triska, Triska Edekaphobia, Triska Edekaphobia, and an analogy to this fear of Friday the 13th is called Paraskevidekatriphobia, from the Greek words Parakesvi, meaning Friday, and Dekatres, meaning 13th. The superstitions surrounding this day may have started in the Middle Ages, originating from the story of Jesus' Last Supper and Crucifixion, in which there were 13 individuals present in the upper room on the 13th of Nisan, uh, of, of Nisan Mahdi, which was an old month, uh, uh, on Thursday, the night before his death on Good Friday. While there is evidence of both Friday and the number 13 being considered unlucky, there is no record of the two items being referred to as specifically unlucky in conjunction before the 19th century. So Friday was considered unlucky because it was the day that Jesus was crucified. And the number 13 was considered unlucky because there were 13 individuals present with Jesus the day before he was crucified. So they kind of married both of the of those um what would I call them, superstitions, I guess, and they became, and they came out with Friday the 13th. An early documented reference in English occurs in English in Henry Sutherland's Edwards' 1969 biography of Yashino Rossi, who died on Friday the 13th. Rossini was surrounded by admiring friends as if it were true that like many Italians regarded Friday as an unlucky day and 13 as an unlucky number. It is remarkable that on Friday the 13th of November he passed away. It is also possible that the publication of 1907 of Thomas W. Lawson's popular novel Friday the 13th contributed to disseminating the superstition. In this particular novel, an unscrupulous broker 
takes advantage of the superstition to create a Wall Street panic set on Friday the 13th. The suggested origin of the superstition, Friday the 13th, um, October 1307, the date Philip uh, IV of France was uh, arrested hundreds of Knights Templar, may not have been formulated until the 20th century. Okay, so they're kind of going back and changing things here to kind of make them fall into that range of unlucky Friday the 13th lore. It is mentioned that in 1955, Maurice Duran, historical novel The Iron King, um, okay, so it's mentioned, uh, they mentioned that Friday the 13th being that day and on a bunch of other novels. And now let's get to the Hispanic culture. So Thursday, excuse me, Tuesday the 13th, which is today, and that's the reason that I'm speaking about this, uh, in Hispanic culture, where's the connection? Greeks, instead of Friday the unlucky day, is Tuesday the 13th. Tuesday is considered dominated by influence of Ares, the god of war. All right, so now I'm a bit confusing because this article kind of mentions that Friday the 13th has Greek origins and now saying that Tuesday the 13th has Greek origins too. So were the Greeks afraid of both days or it's just a bad article? Huh. Anyways, the fall of Constantinople on the Fourth Crusade occurred on Tuesday, April 13th. The fall of... Uh, the fall of Constantinople to the Ottomans happened on on another date. Events that strengthened the superstition about Tuesday. Okay, so according to Tuesday being a bad omen, it has to do with the uh, the fall of Constantinople. Who, what was the capital of the Eastern Roman Empire, which is present day um, the capital of Turkey. Sorry, I should have this already ready for you guys. But the city that the, the city before that it was known as Constantinople is what is known today as Istanbul, not the capital. Sorry, the capital of of Turkey is Ankara. So I guess the Spanish consider the fall of Constantinople or those events occurring on Tuesday as being bad omen. And then when it comes to the American Western culture, I mean, we're Western too, right? But Americans is considered more traditional with, uh, with religion, with, uh, the 13, uh, well, the people that were present at the last supper and also the crucifixion of Christ. So that's where these things separate. Huh? Okay, now listen to this. Friday the 17th uh, is considered a bad day in Italy. So they don't have Friday the 13th in Italy. They have Friday the 17th. Uh, the origins of this belief could be traced in the writing of number 17 in Roman numerals XVII. By, shuff by shuffling the digits of the number, one can easily get the word Vixi, or I have lived, implying death is present. Okay, XVII, if you flip them. You have V-I-X-I, which in Italian means I have lived. An omen of bad luck. In fact, in Italy, 13 is generally considered a lucky number. Okay, so the number 13 is lucky in Italy. Friday the 17th is not. Because if you shuffle the Roman numerals for 13, for 17, excuse me, you get the word I have lived. So basically, like, I'm going to die. Um... In the 2000 parody film Shriek, I know if you know what I did last summer, the 13th 
was released in Italy with the title Shriek. Do you have something to do on Friday the 17th? Okay, so just like I was telling you guys that in Hispanic, well, in, in the Spanish-speaking culture, the movie Friday the 13th in Latin America, it's called Tuesday the 13th. So I guess in Italy, this other movie is called Friday the 17th. All right. And I'm just, yeah, so that's pretty much it for the, for, for Friday the, the 13th or the 13th in general. I actually like the number 13. I had most of my kids play with the number 13. And uh, that goes back to, there, there was a quarterback. Um, I don't know if you, if you guys remember, he played for the Rams, uh, Kurt Warner. And he also played for the Arizona Cardinals. And he actually wore number 13. And when they asked him why he chose number 13, one of the reasons that I heard is that him being a Christian says that he's not a, he's not afraid of uh, or superstitious about numbers. So he chose 13 to sort of prove to the world that it's if you if you have God, like he, he claimed because he's a Christian, that you shouldn't fear uh, or you, you shouldn't fear anything related to you know, lore and superstition. And he won the Super Bowl. Almost won a second Super Bowl. And if you watch the Super Bowl on Sunday, I know that the quarterback for the 49ers wears number 13. I don't know the reason why he wears it. I personally think number 13 looks cool on a jersey. And so my son and my daughter, uh, they both played uh, sports and they, they wore 13. So... That's sort of like our family number, if you will. Moving on, uh, welcome everybody to another Strange Days episode. I thank you guys for listening. Let's go here to the comment section. Well, we have a lot of people here. Rafa, how are you, buddy? Good to see you. Chinchi, how are you? Good to see you. Clutch, what's up, my man? Good to have you back. Jennifer Andrews, hi. Jennifer, I'm glad that you're back in the show. Hope everything is going good. Um... Chinchi says, I, I said Nicki Minaj on Friday the 13th, more entity. <laughs> what are they talking about here? Friday the 13th was related to King Philip? Sure, maybe they may have, have a connection there. I'm a Niners fan, says Jennifer Andrew. Let's not talk about the Super Bowl. Yeah, that's painful. Funny thing today, I stumbled upon an, another one of these kind of like, I, I, like a meme, meme kind of dealies, and I posted it to my to my Instagram, my personal Instagram account. It says 2020 was a leap year. 2024 is a leap year. 2020, Trump versus Biden election. 2024, Trump versus Biden election. 2020, Chiefs beat the 49ers in the Super Bowl. 2024, Chiefs beat the 49ers in the Super Bowl. 2020, the world was shut down by a pandemic one month after the Super Bowl. 2024, the world was shut down by blank a month later. So can we see history repeating itself in 2024? Maybe we get shut down in about a month from now? Uh, that would be something, wouldn't it? It's funny when all these things kind of happen at once. People start tripping out and they're like, oh my gosh, it's an omen. If we only knew all the things that happen at, uh, that have happened, uh, you know, that keep on repeating themselves. 
these are just things that we're aware of, but I'm sure there's other things that I've repeated multiple times. But it is strange. I'll give it to you. It is strange that, you know, it's an election. Well, election years happen every four days, four, four years. It is weird that Trump is going back at it, supposedly, against Biden. It is not odd that it's a leap year because every four years we have a leap year. So that's not odd. And it is kind of odd that the Niners play the Chiefs and they happen to lose to them, you know? So that that's pretty weird there. But, the, you know, does that mean that we're going to have a, a, another uh, stay in your home episode? I honestly would welcome it. I think I can get a lot of stuff done if we were kind of locked in again for a few months. I know it's weird, weird thinking, but uh, in retrospect, now that we kind of survived and we were able to sort of uh, experience a lockout, like a global lockout. I, I think now I would probably utilize my time, my time a little bit, a bit smarter. And I wouldn't mind having locked, uh, uh, you know, being forced to stay home and work from home. I can probably get a lot of stuff done. Yeah, Jennifer, um, I agree with you, but I'm not going to mention that because I don't want to get political on the show. But I agree. There's a lot of weird stuff going on. I definitely think now this is, you know, uh, I'm apolitical in the show. So I definitely honestly think that we should have um, we should have an age limit uh, when a candidate can um, can apply uh, for, for for elections. You know, just I think it's 35 years old is the minimum. I think that we should have a maximum. Because, uh, you know, I see patients all the time at my clinic uh, come in in their, you know, late 60s, early 70s. And there is a definite decline in all factors of life. You know, there's definitely a mental decline. And for you to be handed the most stressful job at that age, uh, and I'm saying beyond your 70s, and expected to act at your prime, it's It's foolish. You know, it's complete foolishness. It's sort of abuse. I mean, you don't want, I wouldn't want my parents at 70 years old to be like the head of a, of a major company with all the stress that just a company takes to run, let alone expected to run the world. I mean, that's, yeah, there should definitely be a term. I would say maybe 65 would be the term. 65, it's kind of pushing, maybe like 63 would be like, the limit that you would have as, as somebody who could serve in the highest office in the land. I mean, they make people retire at 65 for a reason, you know, there's a, a retirement age at 65. So for you to get the the reins to the kingdom at 70, 73, 70, that's, that's pretty old, man. So that's, that's my opinion. Definitely. We should have some kind of, um, yeah, we have, we should have, let's fix the world right now before we dive into the paranormal. Definitely age limit on the presidency, and um, and definitely we should have constitutional. We should have at least four parties running. It's uh, every other country has a lot of parties. Uh, when you know they have a lot of parties when when, when they run for presidency, and I think we, we we just we can't just have two parties. That's like that's really not an option. You know, it's either water or or coffee you can't i mean there's so much more stuff out there we should kind of like be smart enough to be like listen i don't want to no we should have more parties being represented we should change the, the the system in a way but anyways uh 
let's talk about some weird stuff, shall we? Let's see. And today I'm just going to hodgepodge, uh, just kind of jump around topics. I know yesterday we kind of focused ma- mainly on uh, on the law, um, the, the least unknown uh, cryptids. And now we'll just kind of focus on a lot of weird stuff to waste our time. If you guys want to come in the show, you kind of know the drills, the same listeners. Um, we have good news. We have been increasing a lot of, I've been kind of spreading a, you know, casting a white net. And, uh, I know if you want to look for us in, in Spotify or Apple podcast, we're under strange days, super strange days, paranormal. Okay. We're not under strange days live because, um, it's sort of not very descriptive if you use live. So I put paranormal and we have been getting a lot of downloads. So thank God for that. And even if you don't listen to us in a podcast format, and if you do have those services, go ahead and, and just um, subscribe to those channels. I know that would happen if you have, uh, that would help if you have uh, either Spotify or Apple podcasts, go look for the show, Strangest Parent, Strange Days Paranormal and sub- uh, subscribe to it. It helps you that much more. And also, if you want to subscribe to the, the, the new art channel that we have, that's at uh, youtube.com forward slash at artbellfiles. You'll see me posting uh, all the shows that I used to be that used to be posted in this channel in the past. And I'm really diving into like the obscure Art Bell shows, the ones that are hard to find. So I was able to find, I think, 20 shows that were from 93 to 94. I'm still looking for the first, first Art Bell show that had to deal with Paranormal. And that's a show that came out in 92. If you guys missed uh, the podcast with Mr. Um, Steiger, he's the gentleman in charge of the artbellfiles.org and there's no connection between artbellfiles.org and the fact that my channel the other channel's name artbellfiles but he was fascinating because I've always it's always hard to put a timeline on things and I really enjoy uh, having something in paper like I'm very visual so I, I need to see exactly how things evolve you know that's half of the research that I've done in cases and everything I need to have everything laid out so it makes sense to me and then I can kind of talk about it and so we were able to lay out uh, a timeline, if you will, of, of all the five shows that Art Bell was ever part of that had to deal with the supernatural. And so we were able to detail those shows uh, in the, the last podcast. So I won't force you guys to go and listen to it and keep the answer. I'll, I'll, give, the, I'll give you the answer. So here, uh, basically the five shows that Art Bell was involved with was Coast to Coast, which was a political show. In the, in the 80s, it was a political show, and Art Bell was part of it. And then this particular show um, had one episode in 19 in 1992 that had to deal that that dealt with the paranormal. Okay, and that's considered to be the first coast to coast episode that had to, that dealt with the paranormal. But coast to coast as a show prior to that was a political show. So I guess they got a good reaction from the show when they did the paranormal. They probably had more listeners than they, than they, they had when they were doing the, the political talk. And so slowly but surely, uh, they were thinking about reformatting the show. So you have 1992, Art Bell discusses the first paranormal uh, stuff on the Coast to Coast uh, show. And then a few months later, 
1993, there was uh, a show uh, that, would, that would come on Sunday nights. And that show was called um, Area 2000. Okay. And that show was actually um, found, it was, it wasn't, it was founded by somebody, by a foundation. He actually sponsored the whole show. So it wasn't sponsored by companies or advertising. It was sponsored by a certain individual. And, um, and his name escapes me right now. Um, give me a second, guys, because I'm posting uh, somebody wants in the comment section. They want the address to the Art Bell files. Yeah, youtube.com forward slash at Art Bell files. So getting back to the story, we had Art Bell, Coast to Coast, political show in the 80s. In 92, a single episode of Supernatural Discussion. It took off. And then uh, a few months later, in 93, they developed a privately funded show called Area 2000 that aired on Sundays. And then after that, lasted for however long. And then obviously the person that was sponsoring was pretty expensive. And then that show terminated. And then Art Bell um, started turning his coast to coast into more paranormal focus. He deviated from political, started doing paranormal. So coast to coast, Area 2000, coast to coast again, and then uh, Monday through Friday. And then on Sunday nights, he started Dreamland, which was uh, sort of remnant to Area 2000, which also aired on Sundays. So during the week, you had coast to coast, and on Sundays, you had Dreamland. That went on for years. And then, uh, you know, Art retired about five times. And then... Uh, during one of these retirements, he started, uh, he made a deal with Sirius FM in which I think only lasted like two to three months, but th that show was called Dark Matter, okay? And that that show only aired on, on the Sirius network. So you have show one, Coast to Coast, show two, uh, Area 2000, and then you have show three, Dreamland, And the fourth show, which was called Dark Matter, and that one came out on Sirius only. And in between, he would do a little bit of coast-to-coast -coast here and there. And then the final show, Arts Bell's Final Five, so it's five shows that he, that he did. That was the, the show that used to come out uh, Midnight in the Desert, okay? Midnight or Midnight in the Desert. So those are kind of like a little bit of a, an anthology or, you know, an anthology, if you will, Is, is that the right word? Well, you know what I mean. So you can find a lot of coast-to-coast -coast stuff online on YouTube. Uh, Dreamland, you can also find a few Dreamland episodes. Midnight in the Desert, you can find um, a couple of those. Uh, but the Area 2000 shows that I stumbled upon are very hard to find. <clears throat> And those are the shows that are posted on that Art Bell Files uh, YouTube channel. Now, being that they were sponsored by somebody else, I don't think they're copywritten. So far, I haven't gotten any notice that they're copywritten. So, so far, they're live. So, go listen to those shows because they're good shows. Quality, I'm sorry, some of the quality is horrible uh, because they're probably recorded on tape. And then they were got notes transposed into CD or... But, yeah, the quality is pretty bad. I'm, I'm sure somebody out there will will take the time to, to fix the quality. I actually thought about doing that, but I don't have the time. 
okay i don't have the time to go and clean up the shows but they're there so go and listen to to that you guys will will like it and what i'm doing as well i'm this show is going live on our strange days live channel but i'm also putting this show live on the art bells files channel okay so the art bells file channel it's i'm putting it live there but i'm removing it so it's kind of live only while the show goes on and then it does to get people that are interested more in the art bell sign to come into the strange days live because as you all know this channel originally uh was called time travel radio now i'm talking about my history <laughs> This channel, Strange Days Live, at one point in time, was called Time Travel Radio. Uh, excuse me. Back up. Time Travel Show. Okay. I had an old channel back in the day where I first started posting Art Bell repeat shows. That show, that channel was called Art Bell Radio. Okay. And that channel was up for about a year, year and a half. And I had like probably like 70, 50 to 70,000 subscribers to that channel. That channel was hit with a copyright strike by a very shady individual, and that channel was completely shut down. I mean, my whole YouTube stream was shut down. YouTube said, you can never have a channel, blah, blah, blah. So that was completely killed, okay? And that was Art Bell uh, Radio. Then I opened up a few months later. I was pretty, you know, upset about it, uh, about getting in trouble with the copyright. And then I found out that there's a couple of shows that were not in the copyright strike. And so I created Art Bell. Um, now I'm getting confused. Art Bell uh, Files. And then I opened it. So this channel, uh, I, I reopened this channel under that premise. I posted all the safe videos. And then that channel came into what is now known Strange Days Life. I, hope, I know you guys don't care. I'm just kidding. But this is the sort of the story of this of this channel. So it went from um, Art Bell Radio to Time Travel Show. And uh, yeah, we are, this is where we are today, Strange Days Life. And then the reason I changed this channel from the Art Bell stuff is because I wanted to dedicate my life to emulate a strange, uh, to emulate, emulate an Art Bell show of my own meaning having guests and having people call and do the interviews. And that is still the plan. My plan is to do more interviews and get and take live calls at one point in time. I know I'm, it's only a three-month-old channel, and I'm happy with the growth so far. And if you know, in between there, we had other two co-hosts. There was two other people that came in, and they kind of did the show when I couldn't do the show and when I went on vacation. But that was taken in a totally different direction, um we i kind of got hijacked if you will from from the own from my own show and uh, i started getting strikes by youtube because of the stuff that the, the people were saying on that show so i said you know what i kind of had a change of heart and i said you know what um, i'm just gonna take my show back kind of bring it back into the essence of what i envisioned the show to be which was guest interview and maybe topical since i don't have the numbers yet to create a, a call-in show um i'm focusing right now on the interview and focusing on the topical which is what we're doing today boy 30 minutes of a of a monologue i hope you guys are okay you'll be you'll be okay 
So Jennifer Andrews comment about uh, commenting about Dreamland and then founded by John Lear. Okay, I didn't know that Dreamland was founded by John Lear. Thank you, Jennifer, for that piece of uh, history there. And uh, Jennifer Andrews says I have listened to all of them. Um, yeah, meaning probably Art Bell. So yeah, awesome. Yeah, me too. Uh, until I found the Area 2000s, which I had no idea they existed. Uh, Bigelow, yeah, the Bigelow Foundation, right? Uh, uh, Area 2000, which was sponsored by Bigelow, the Bigelow Foundation. Hey, Honor, how are you? Good to see you here. Pleasure. Jennifer Anderson says, I'm really glad that you did take back your show. I'm filling in the blanks because I had a very bad experience with one of your co-hosts. Yeah, I mean, they were cool guys, uh, but um, they they weren't the right guys for my show, for what I envision, you know, especially three co-hosts. That's crazy. Don't ever do a show and try to put three people in there. One of them is, you know, um, there's chemistry that gets built that you can't really interrupt. And so, you know, um, yeah so we'll just kind of let it be I, I wish them well but uh yeah i'd just rather do stuff my way as frank sinatra once said i think that's the best way that things work when you do things your way okay so going back to our, our show today lesser famous strange stories let's see here we have um what do we get started with? We talked yesterday about some cool stuff I never heard of before. The crucifix UFO. Now these shorts, uh, these uh, these stories are very small because obviously they're lesser known. So there's lesser stuff associated with them, meaning there's lesser information. You know, if I was doing a story about Bigfoot and my, my story lasted two minutes and it's kind of questionable because in two minutes you can't really go about all the facts of bigfoot but these little stories are short they're little snippets and i kind of like them it's kind of like reading the when i was reading last week the the scary stories and if you take um if you as a listener take an interest in one of these stories i'm sure that you can probably do some more research on your own and there's more stuff out there i'm just in a particular site that gives you sort of like a snippet of the site of the story so this is called the crucifix ufo uh, and these have been seen all over the world, actually. And they look just like a little crucifix that was kind of hanging out in the air. Um, so crucifix UFOs are mysterious cross-shaped objects that have been reported multiple times hovering over especially war, war-torn areas, specifically those in Ukraine. Very interesting. Another sighting occurred in Sevastopol, the Crimean city that's the center of the dispute between Russia and Ukraine. In late October 2015, a video appeared reportedly showing a cross-shaped UFO over the city. The object moved around and appeared to descend almost to ground before rising with a light pulsating and increasing in intensity. Well, not a cross or ball-shaped UFO as reported um, as reported early or as reported previously. These are cross-shaped UFO. And if you look at, re- if you do a little Google search on them, you'll see they're very distinct cross-looking objects. Very cool. As expected in an area with a strong religious belief that has seen tragedies of war, it's easier to see why the citizens would first believe that crosses are signs from aliens or spiritual beings upset about the conflict. Perhaps even angels or other types of flying humanoids. On the other hand, the lights could be from a military operation or drones, especially with the up and down movements. Okay, one thought is that a reflective kite would have the same type of erratic motion. 
The movements also rule out lens flares or other camera, camera abnormalities. Okay, throw in Russia, Vladimir Putin, U.S., uh, Syria. Sorry, these articles sometimes are kind of weird. Um, okay, so throw in Russia, Vladimir Putin, U.S. relations terrorist, Syria, and everything else going on in the world, and a good case could be made that this is a perfect spot to see how the population would react to what is called Project Bluebeam type religious projection or distribution of CGI videos, which is with a religious connotation. So, what is Project Bluebeam? So, what the, the, basically they're saying in the last few in this last paragraph is that there's instances in which you could apply Project Bluebeam uh, technology into areas that have a religious fervor by projecting images or CGI things in the sky and then seeing how people react. In this case, in Ukraine, being a Catholic uh, country, if you project the cross in the times of crisis, then you're going to have a reaction by the population. And so that's what Project Bluebeam, uh, I guess, will be, you know, it, it, it's what they're after. So well, they want to see how the people would react. Um, what is Project Bluebeam? Let's see here. So... Project Bluebeam is a conspiracy theory about supposed uh, supposed projection, uh, projecting things in the sky to create an artificial second coming of Christ in order to control people. As per the alleged, uh, alleged theory, the New World Order purposes one to abolish Christian and traditional religions in order to replace them with a one-world religion. So they want to fake a second coming of Christ in disguise. That's what Bluebeam will be. Okay, so I can see where they can make a case for that. They're um, sort of projecting stuff in the sky and seeing how people would react in case they're preparing for this quote-unquote Project Bluebeam in the future that they want to create a second coming event. Interesting stuff, nonetheless. I, I don't personally believe it, but yeah. Um, yeah. So that was the, the Crucifix UFOs. I was I was not aware about... I've been aware of stuff, religious stuff, appearing in the sky, but I've never been aware of the Crucifix UFOs. So if you're interested... Head to, uh, when the show is over, <laughs> head to another YouTube channel and do a search and uh, and see if you guys can can manage to see any kind of like uh, UFO type uh, cross formations. All right. So that is the first one for today, the Crucifix UFOs. Let's see here what we got. Um, the Scottish Mines, M-I-N-E-S. Scottish Mine Sightings was an extraterrestrial sighting that took place on November 9th, 1974, 1979, thank you, dyslexia, in Livingston, Scotland, United Kingdom. The witness was Robert Taylor, a forester from West Lothian, Scotland. While inspecting young trees with his dog, Robert encountered a large spherical object surrounded by small mine-like creatures. So you have a central round UFO and uh, right around that you have all these creatures that he called creatures. But if you look at the drawings, they actually, it's funny, it looks like a coronavirus. It's its a sphere with little, uh, little antenna protruding all over it. So if you think of what coronavirus looks like, that's what the Scottish mines look like. And also... The reason they call them mines is because during World War II, the mines that they would drop in the ocean had a similar presentation. There would be these round spheres with all kinds of 
uh, triggers that would protrude from it. So, you know, if you're cruising on a boat and all of a sudden you hit one of these triggers, which look like bars, uh, the whole thing would blow off. So that's what they called it, Scottish mines. The larger object was hovering above the ground, neither moving nor making any sound. The thing was dark gray with texture similar to that of sandpaper. It appeared to become transparent in one area or another. Seemingly, to Mr. Taylor, it seemed to camouflage itself. The craft was estimated to be 20 feet in diameter. That was pretty big. The smaller objects had a color and texture similar to that of a parent object but were outfitted with appendages like those of a sea urchin. So these are the protrusions I was telling you guys about. They rolled on a horizontal axis and made a plopping noise as the legs made contact with the ground. Okay, so these little things that they had, the protrusions, they would kind of roll and make contact with the ground. Good. Robert Taylor claimed that soon after coming up on the craft, two of the smaller objects grabbed his pants legs with one of their appendages and began dragging him towards a larger object before he lost consciousness. When he regained consciousness, all of the objects, larger and small, had disappeared. Let's hope that nothing happened to Mr. Taylor, right? Hmm. Okay, that was the second one to discuss today. Let's go see and see. Uh, um, let's go here. I'm going to just attend the, the comment section. Um... Why aren't there any cross-shaped crop circles then? Yeah, very interesting. I heard that it was a fake an alien invasion, not Yeshua's return. Okay, that makes sense too. Clutch, that kind of makes sense. Uh, also, aliens are not real interdimensional beings after... Yeah, I... I um, my professional... Professional, what the heck am I talking about? My personal opinion is that aliens are interdimensional, that they're not... Um, that they're not actually from another planet. They're, they're from another dimension. And the reason I said that is because they can, uh, that, that's how they can probably break all kinds of rules when it comes to um, the physics of the world, you know. They can be projections too from another dimension. You know, that's how they can, you know, if, if you have, for example, if you and I had a laser pen, right, we can go outside and we can do all kinds of weird things with a laser pen, like moving them around like at 100 miles an hour, it would seem from our from somebody else's vantage point. And then we can break all laws of physics, but the only thing we're doing is just projecting something. You know, because I've thought about it, if, if UFOs are able to move at such a fast speed, how come we never hear like a sonic boom associated with it? Because in theory, you are breaking the law of sound, the speed of sound, I should say. When you break the speed of sound, there has to be a generation of a sonic boom. But when you see in all these reports about UFOs moving like at a, a hundred, sometimes a thousand miles an hour and more, you never hear any noise. They, they don't make any noise. They don't make any sonic boom. So if they were projections then that can sort of uh, lend itself to the fact that they can do all kinds of weird things that are outside our physics understanding. You know, I came to what I... So let's say that you and I were out there and uh, that you and I are out there. We, we created um, like a little small town, right? We created a little small town on the floor. We have a little cars. We have a little buildings. And all of a sudden, I get a light, uh, a light pen and I project it on the ground and I projected on this roof, and I projected all over the room. I mean, from, from a perspective of somebody who lives in that little town, they see a light in the sky, and they're like, my goodness, this thing is breaking all kinds of, like, physics uh, barriers, and it's going so fast, and how can I do all these things? It's impossible for a human being, but it's really a projection that's doing it. It's not a live craft. So I think that that's probably what it could be. It could be a projection of something. So, Clutch, thank you for bringing that out. My friend from Miedoscope is here. 
How you doing, man? I've been, uh, if you guys speak Spanish, um, check out Miedoscope sometimes. He does, uh, he does what I want to do. What I want to do is to go on live and get calls. And my friend from Miedoscope gets calls all the time. So he's like the, the Spanish version of, uh, of Art Bell. He gets some really cool calls. I mean, this guy's channel is, is huge. I hope one day that I'm able to, to get that, that, that many listeners, um, you know, because that's my dream is to have interviews and then to be able to kind of copy what Miedoscope does in regards to, to, to taking live callers. Uh, the last few, uh, in the only bad thing is it said that, uh, we, uh, our timelines coincide. He's from, he's in Mexico. So when he goes live, I'm live too. Otherwise I would listen. <laughs> I would listen more to, to, to Miedoscope because it's a really cool show. I love the way that he, um, by this way his name is Julio I really like the way that Julio uh, carries himself online and that he interviews people he's very knowledgeable so if you speak Spanish after my show or before uh, you know I don't want you to leave me please don't leave you can go check out Miedoscope Julio Flores he's a really cool guy and I've uh, I've been listening to his shows uh, in the last few days when when I when I when I end this one earlier so I thank him for for listening to me So, so yeah, Julio, thank you so much, buddy. Good luck with everything, man. I really, I, it's an honor for you to be listening to me right now. Yeah, he does a really, he's like the art bell of, uh, of Mexico and hopefully all over the Latin American world. He's a, he's a cool guy. Um, yeah. So with that being said, um, that's what I think's clutch. That's probably what, what, uh, what UFOs could be, you know? Because they, that's how you can break all kinds of laws from physics. Because it's it's, it's a projection in the sky, and, and to us it looks like it's maybe something physical. Perhaps that's the reason why some radars don't pick it up because radars don't pick up light. And if it's a projection, it's a light. And also, if UFOs were projections, then you have the ability to break all kinds of rules when it comes to uh, the physics of it. And you don't have a generation of a sonic boom, which you would have with a physical object. So thank you, Clutch. You helped my brain make sense of the UFO phenomena. I think we can close the chapter. We already solved the UFO mystery. Uh, Clutch, let's make a book and make a million dollars. We'll go Miedoscope and discuss our findings. <laughs> no, but yeah, so that that's one plausible thing for UFOs being what they are. Mimsy, Mimsy Limbs, good to have you on the show. Thank you for joining us. So that was the Scottish Mines. We, we discussed the Scottish Mines, which is this one apparition. Let's see here. Um, where else? The sewer humanoids. There have always, you know, always been apparitions in the sewers. I know that uh, there have always been beliefs of uh, reptiles living in the sewers. You know, I think in the 80s, there was a movie about the huge alligator that lived in a sewer. Uh, do you guys remember that movie? If without aging yourself much, there was a movie and there's also been a, um, like a, one of these stories that there was an alligator that used to live in the sewers. So there's always weird creatures too. There was a blob a few years ago that happened to be, uh, people filmed it and uh, it was disgusting. It was like this blob of like a blob of living bacteria that was found in some kind of sewer somewhere. Disgusting. But yeah, maybe these things sort of, yeah, just, uh, I, don't, I don't know. But they're pretty gross. 
This is a cool story that I've actually uh, I, we, I've come across before, and it's a popular story, but it's not one of the most popular stories per se. And this is the the Green Children of Woolpit. Have you guys ever heard of the story? This is a really cool story. Um, this is uh, this concerns two kids of unusual skin color. They they had a, a green tint to their skin who reportedly appeared in the village of Woolpit in Suffolk, England, sometimes in the 12th century, perhaps during the, the reign of King Stephen. Uh, his reign was roughly from 1135 to 1154. So these kids, it was a boy and a girl, they, uh, found to be a brother and sister afterwards, were uh, generally normal appearance, except that the green color of the skin, as I spoke earlier. They spoke in an unknown language and would eat only raw, broad beans. Okay. So somebody's walking out there. They see these two little kids in the middle of some sort of uh, pasture. Both of the little kids, a brother and a sister, very small. They have green skin. Um, eventually, they learn uh, to eat other foods as they were incorporated into our society. And they actually lost their green color. But the boy was very sickly and, and died soon afterwards. And his sister uh, lived longer and was baptized. I'm not sure why they mentioned that. So, you know, a lot of, uh, medically speaking, uh, a lot of foods can actually change the tone of your skin. So people that eat a lot of carrots, believe it or not, they can get a, an orange uh, skin pigmentation that can change to an orange color. And um, and so maybe these kids were living in a, in a place where they were getting fed some kind of nutrient that would make their skin turn green. And let me see here. Because there's also another medical condition that we actually call we actually call bronze diabetes, okay? And it's basically an iron over iron overload. Pardon me, I have my Hispanic uh, my Hispanic uh, tongue is moving in in a way in which it's hard for me to pronounce words correctly, but it's called bronze diabetes. This is when people have too much iron in their blood, and so their skin actually looks bronze. And their eyes look a little bit yellowish too. So what point am I trying to make? I'm trying to make the point that sometimes if we have an overload of things, whether it be carrots, if we eat too many of them, they can, our skin pigment can change to a more orangey hue. And if you have too much iron in your system, you can develop like a bronzer look. And that is to make sense that these little kids that were found in England, perhaps they, were, they had some kind of dietary issues that made their skin look green. Hence, when they were adapted into the society, started eating our food, their skin changed. But sadly, um, the brother died. The girl adjusted to her new life, uh, but she was considered to be a very, uh, very, uh, the way that she behaved herself was very imprudent. So she wasn't really, the way that she behaved was abnormally from what we would classify as a normal behavior for a girl. After she learned to speak English, The girl actually explained that she and her brother had come from a land where the sun never shone and the light was like twilight. Could it be Middle Earth? There's a lot of lore and another, another, a lot of people that believe that inside of a earth were actually, it's a hollow space. So that would actually lend some credibility to the fact that maybe they lived in some kind of cave system or some kind of Middle Earth in which there were the only light that would probably filter through was through holes in the ground, Um, cave system, I don't know. 
but they said that they were from a place where the sun never shone and the light was like twilights. Uh, I know that if you live in the upper portions of the world, like near the poles, well, that's you, you still, I mean, you get six months of darkness and six months of light, so that wouldn't really apply. Anyway, so according to one of the versions of the story, she said that everything that they were there was green. Okay, according to another, she said that it was called St. Martin's Land. That was the place where she was from. The only near contemporary account uh, that retailed the story is in, uh, in a book called Historia Rerum Anglicarum and Chronicum Anglicarum, written about 1889 uh, and 1220, respectively. Between them <clears throat> and their rediscovery in the mid-19th century, the green children seem to surface only in passing mention in another book before. So they're kind of they're trying to validate this by telling you that <clears throat> it was documented in, in different uh, in different books. Um, <clears throat> okay, and then so one of the, yeah, so that's pretty much it. I mean, there's a lot of if you go online digging, there's a lot of stuff on the Woolpit, the children of Woolpit, and it's cool that they had uh, this little green skin. So what else? What other cool cases we can talk about? Um, let's talk about this. This is called the Zanetti Ghost Train. Zanetti with a Z. If you want to look it up, Z-A-N-E-T-T-I, Zanetti Ghost Train. Also known as Treno dei Fantasmi, which in Italy I will translate it because it's pretty similar to Spanish. So you can make it out. It's called the, the Phantom Train. It's a unique and intriguing uh, attraction located in Italy. This unusual tourist destination is situated in the small town of Presceria del Garda, which is in the province of Verona. What else came out of Verona? little quiz for you guys. Something important took place in Verona. Do you guys know what it was? Romeo and Juliet, remember? In the fair town of Verona, where we lay our scene. That's an opening... That's opening uh, words for the, from the play uh, Romeo and Juliet. So I guess now not, not only do they have cross-starred lovers, but they also have a mystery train in Verona. <clears throat> the Sonetti Ghost Train is not a typical amusement park ride or a conventional train experience. Rather, it is an eerie and captivating journey that has captured the imagination of visitors from all around the world. On June 14, 1911, a train with 106 people on board named Zanetti left the station in Rome. The journey also included crossing the Lombardy region, where the passengers had a great view of the mountains, but at one point, the train had to pass through one kilometer long tunnel. Kilometer is probably like a little bit less than a mile, I would say. Uh, however, when the rig entered the tunnel, probably like more than like half, like a two-thirds of a mile, I think. However, when that rig entered the tunnel, the train, it was expected to come out of the other end, but that never happened again. Wow. This is cool. So, basically, you have like a little time slip or, or like a like a time-traveling train. It went into a... It went into this pass and it never came out of the other end. It's very interesting. News of this bizarre event soon reached Rome as two passengers reportedly managed to jump off the train before entering the tunnel. The two witnesses are said to have had a very bad feeling at that moment that something was really, really bad going to happen. Uh, 
So they jumped off the train right before they entered the tunnel. At the same time, they claim that when they entered the tunnel, after the train passed, they saw a kind of thick white fog. And they said that they heard some kind of unnatural sounds from the inside. Somewhere, it is stated that the man jumped off the train only when it stopped directly in the tunnel, after which it completely disappeared. That makes more sense to kind of stop when a train actually stops, as opposed to just, you know, jumping off a train when it's moving. The tunnel was searched, but no trace of the Sanetti train was ever found. The railway subsequently preferred to close the tunnel permanently. What a shame. But where, but where could the train have gone? Many have asked, including myself. There are many other strange reports and sightings associated with this disappearance that suggest the train is theoretically caught in a time loop. Monks from the city of Modena, not far from the place of disappearance, recorded a most strange sighting back in the Middle Ages. They allegedly saw a sled with a pipe, a locomotive with a chimney, which was pulled by three smaller ones behind it, possibly the cars. So what we have to understand is that people in the past that have never seen future technology will have a hell of a time describing what it is. You know, if we took a train back to, I don't know, like to the Roman age, how would they describe a train? You know, they would probably say it's like an iron... Yeah, I mean, I even have a hard time. But uh, so so these people uh, that lived in Modena, which was a city not far from where, they actually described what, to the, what was a train to them. That's very interesting. So that the train made it through or time slipped into this old city or times. And when the monks saw this thing, they couldn't come up with words to describe it. So they penned it down. So that lends more belief that this actually was a true event. And what's weird is that Sanetti train had exactly three uh, carriages. The monks also described thick suffocating smoke coming from an oven and the overall appearance terrified them considerably. Yeah, to them it probably looked like some kind of, uh, I don't know if they had the word, well, they definitely didn't have the word UFO, but to them it would be like, what is this thing? They also described seeing messengers of the devil coming out of the machine. So could it be that the people, maybe the way that they dressed, they could have looked like if they were wearing some kind of evil costumes. I mean, monks are pretty, you know, monks are pretty, they just dress with like their robes, right? So for, for them to see people dress fancy, especially when they used to travel back in the day, people used to dress very fancy. According to the monks, they were dressed in black clothes and the men were clean shaven, which was obviously something unusual about their well-being. Okay, so that the train also reached the past. Wow. The mystery deepens with further reports. About 30 years after the disappearance, sometimes in the 40s, 104 Italians appear out of nowhere in Mexico in unusual clothing. They claimed they were only passengers on the Sanetti train and were acting hysterically and confused, which eventually allegedly allegedly led them to being committed to a mental hospital one man on the that was in this particular um version that, that would happen to be at the train and was led uh, to a, to to um, a mental hospital was known to be carrying a tobacco box with the year to uh 1907 written on it so what was it? Was it a phantom vehicle? Was it a time travel machine? Was it a ghost? Was it a time slip? Huh. Trivia time. As an Eddie in the Philadelphia experience, a disappearance, sometimes... Uh, what's an Eddie? No, I'm not going to read this because it's confusing. I apologize. But yes, yeah, that was your Sanetti ghost train. 
train goes into a some sort of passing it doesn't appear on the other side to people escape they attest to the fact that they felt something uneasy and then the train disappears and then you have two written accounts one by monk saying that they saw something oddly uh, weird and unexplained come out in that area and then you have an account of people in mexico appearing out of this device or train cool stuff mm. Michaela, I'm gonna I call Michaela with the, I don't want to butcher her pronunciation. I had an orange nose from eating squash as a child. Really? That's funny. That's cool. But why did your nose only get you orange? Maybe because the way when you eating it, you kind of touched your nose to the squash. <laughs> I'm sure there's a picture of your of your yeah of your orange nose somewhere. Root of the orange nose ranger, reindeer. Um, I hope you guys like my accent. Sometimes I make a lot of goose. Anyway, so getting back to our uh, hodgepodge of weird, uh, let's see what else we can talk about. Let's see what is this guy. Ooh, there's some cool stories. They're just very. Sometimes they don't have a lot of. They don't have a lot of stuff in here. Okay, these are. Well, no, I'm not going to read this one because this is pretty well known. It's the the Hesendale Lights. That, that's kind of, that's pretty known, so I'm not going to talk about it. I want to talk about weird stuff. Okay, this is kind of odd. Kind of scary, too. These guys are called the Solar Solar Plexus Clown Gliders. <laughs> Sounds like a band, like a heavy metal band. Um, and they're, they're supposedly have like uh, some cursed images. All right, so what is the Solar Plexus Clown Glider? It's a collective name given to a broad range of paranormal phenomena attributed to a corruptive entity which infects weak and vulnerable people through the Solar Plexus Chakra. All right, so this has to do with, um, I would imagine, with yoga. If you're a yoga uh, out there, yoga practicer, send us a note if you guys have ever heard of the Solar Plexus Clown Glider. Originally used by 80s New Age practitioners, the phenomena was linked to a horror theme email forwardable in the late 90s, which claimed that simply reading or hearing the word Solar Plexus Clown Glider made one susceptible to infection. Others claim that one became infected through viewing a set of spooky black and white images that were circulating online. Rather than a material cryptid, uh, the solar plexus clown glider is a eph ephemeral and operates in the language of uh, the level of language. It makes itself known through images and words. They they actually appear to feed off human misery, bombarding its host humans with realistic hallucination glitches in reality and weakening them emotionally then they simply drive the host beyond their fullest capacity of psychological pain the sickness that comes from the contact with one of these beings is described as similar to meth addict experience of withdrawal and paranoia symptoms up to including near constant full body hallucinatory experiences and psychosis 
the reported effects are also similar to delirium states. <clears throat> According to the Hindi culture, the solar plexus harbors both positive and lower negative emotions. This chakra, one of the seven main ones, is also the center of perseverance and the desire to win, as well as anger, irritation, hate, envy, greed, destructiveness, violence, cruelly, cruelty, resentment, worry, anxiety, feel, fear, selfishness, aggressiveness, and more. So it's a very important chakra. It's in charge of a lot of behaviors, mostly negative ones, right? Except, you know, the perseverance and desire to win, which sometimes people can be so toxic about winning that they actually express all these negative uh, attributes. The idea of demonic forces, which literally feed off of these negative emotions, is widespread throughout the world in a variety of contexts outside of chakra cleansing. And it was in this context that the phrase was first used in a New Age circles during the 1980s. No trace of the phrase can be found prior to the 90s male art movement. It was speculated that the phrase was engineered by a CIA experiment in mind control, as those who repeated them often Uh, reported uh, feelings of unseen presence or of encroaching cold. Similar experiences were attempted as part of the MK Ultra experiments. Known suspect victims included Dead Rabbit Radio podcast host John Carpenter, who saw that the dis- who saw that he described as a giant cobra rise and slither down the aisles of a car room. After this experience, which was tinged with anxiety already, Carpenter described his mood and quality of life taking a serious decline. It was only after researching the topic that he speculated the experience was related. He considers the SPCGs, the solar plexus clown gliders, to be a mimetic parasite which exists only to spread human suffering. Manifestations, as per the most well-known image and name, uh, the solar plexus clown glider has occasionally physically manifested as a demonic jester figure, but its form is ultimately fluid, capable of infiltrating and deforming any visual surface one has enough power over the victim. Its quote-unquote body is more often said to resemble oozing forms of slugs or snakes. It can often appear to be made of a substance outside the normal laws of three dimensions, similar to Black Stick Man. That's going to be next. I will talk about Black, Black Stick Man. Never heard of them. However, attributing any specific form to this entity is meaningless and is ultimately not reducible to its hallucinatory contents, but to the rumor effects of a phrase engineered to, ta- to trigger mental deterioration. Alternatively, there's also a supposed set of black and white images, only of which only one is now in circulation, which achieves the same effect of madness or telling implicates a special frequency associated with the word. It has been suggested that uh, the solar plexus clown glider is an example of an early internet legend boosted after a Trojan virus code by the same name, which gained quick recognition. It was an early jump scare prank, only specially cruel as the code could wait indefinitely to suddenly flash a scary face on the screen at random times. Terrifying users oblivious that their home PC was infected. Yeah, like imagine that, man. You're cruising the the fast internet of modem back in you know early 90s, late 80s, early 90s, and all of a sudden your computer your computer would flicker an image of this like weird evil clown. 
I mean, this is before you knew that there could be viruses. So you just download the email, tells you that if you read this word, you're going to be infected by this. And all of a sudden you start seeing, I mean, that like to scare the heck out of anybody. <clears throat> Especially back in the day when a lot of these things weren't really, you know, known about. It has been suggested that the urban legends surrounding uh, the SPCGs were spread in the wake of the virus or by the creator to further cement the effect of the computer being quote-unquote haunted. To this extent, uh, SPCG myths appeared at a critical junction, uh, an ostentation myth with a digital in mind. Ostentation is when individuals or group act out folkloric scenarios reenacting a tradition, an example of ostentation myth. Familiar across generation is the Bloody Mary outline. When you stand in front of a mirror, you say Bloody Mary three times and the Bloody Mary would appear. I guess I would also go into, uh, what was what the name of this movie? Um, oh, gosh, my memory is failing. There's a movie in which you mention some guy's name and, uh, and he would appear also and kill you. Whatever. You guys know what I'm talking about. SPCG was further uh, Candyman. Candyman, there you go. Uh, SPCG was further informed by a study, a sturdy pre-established frame of sci-fi and comedy stories about mimetic phenomena that kill anybody who's exposed, such as the neuron-collapsing images known as basilics or Blit by David Langford, an image of a fractal called the Parrot, which text ripped from the Langford story, claiming that the image will kill all who view it, circulating at, same, at the same time as the SPCG mimetic images and phrases. So I guess... There were images going around in the early internet that if you looked at it, you would die. And then somebody said, oh, okay, so let's make an image and a phrase. So if you say the phrase and you look at the image, you will die. And sort of all these things are relative to the, the Bloody Mary. And then they made the movies in the 90s with the, the Candyman. In music, uh, there's a horrorcore rap artist called Tula Drip. Tulpa Drip uh, includes a song based on the myth in their 2020 album, The Exorcist. Screamo band... Demo Crown officially released a song with the title SPCG that explored the legend in 2021. A 2022 issue of literally signed Pinecone uh, contains poetry by Alexander William named after SP SPCNG, which includes uh, repetitions of the phrase throughout. Very interesting. Um, I've never heard of this. Disturbing a little bit, huh? Wow. Interesting stuff. Have you guys ever heard of this? I, I hide him before. Uh, Michaela, how are you? My face had an orange hue too. I guess we're going back to the fact that Michaela used to be uh, into eating squash quite a lot. Uh, we don't look back at my baby photos. I had large eyes and orange face. Not really cute. <laughs> large eyes and an orange face. Yeah. That would be cute actually. That would be cute. You should put those images. I'm sure a lot of people would, would like to look at them. All right. So let's see here. What else can we find? What other weird little guy stories? Oh, the black stick man. They, they mentioned the black stick man. What is the black stick man? They're a species of strange humanoid being rarely seen by humans. They are often described as being similar to uh, typical cartoon stick men, making them some of the stranger beings ever encounter. You know, like in the last few years, a lot of people have had like there's a Halloween costume in which they're uh, 
sort of like it looks like a stick man like they would put a like a glow in the dark stuff or and it looks in the shape of like a stick man i i really like the halloween costume it looks pretty cool because you can see somebody from like a block away coming towards you and it looks just like a stick man walking around because it was like a it would be like a black hoodie and black pants black shoes so you don't really see the person you just see like whatever is glowing and it looks like a stick figure is coming to you so i guess that's what a black stick man would look like um black stick men are often described as being exactly identical to their typical cartoon stick men tall thin and black in color they are said to move in an odd galloping motion some are even said to float above the ground supposedly they are two-dimensional creatures meaning that they are exactly the same regardless of what angle they are viewed from uh enormous stick men have been seen in the uk and also in eastern europe okay well they can be a if they're if they're if they're seen in the world they can be a two-dimensional creature just saying but because uh, then they would have depth and also they will be interacting with a third dimension but i diverged in 1982 when i was a student nurse at watley hospital in Bredwood in essex england i encountered a stick person in the grounds of the hospital as i was walking home one night it looped across the roadway having been seemingly pressed up against the wall it stopped when it saw me and raised its arm in, in a fright and quickly walked off in the underground. It was very tall and very thin, streaming long arms and legs, and had a very small oval head, total black, no obvious clothing. I saw no face, even though it emerged very near a street lamp. It was, was, it was very well illuminated. I was terrified, and to this day, no one believes me. Simon House. I see who Simon House is. Simon House. Hey, so actually Simon House correlates that in another, uh, so there's, there's somebody, I, I'll take validity in Simon House. Okay, um, that was pretty cool, right? It's Black Stick Man. Let's see, let's go with some miscellaneous, miscellaneous legends. Um... This is pretty cool. Skeletons on the moon. Before we dive into the skeletons of the moon, I'm just going to go here. All right, so um, let's go here, Blacks. Okay, what is the skeletons on the moon? Just what it sounds like. Supposedly NASA NASA took a picture of uh, one of their moon missions and they captured a, a skeleton on the moon. Hmm. The skeleton on the moon was an urban legend about a human skeleton discovered by Apollo 11 lunar lander module. Bizarrely, it was said to be wearing a plaid shirt and blue jeans. Cool. Maybe you had like a moonshine powered um, a vessel that was able to make it to the moon. Speaking of which, they're supposed to be, next week they're supposed to be launching a probe. That's the, an unmanned probe that's going to land on the moon, and, it's, and it'll be the first uh, American probe that will land on the moon since the 1972 Apollo mission. So be on the lookout for that. There are several explanations, getting back to the case here of the skeleton on the moon, as to what the phenomenon could be. Theories include, obviously, a hoax, um, <laughs> paranormal entities, and... Uh, yeah, a dinosaur or a, or a, a dinosaur skeleton uh, or uh, an alien skeleton. Now, 
an alien wearing um, plaid shirt and blue jeans would scare me. And a dinosaur wearing plaid shirt and blue jeans would triple scare me. Okay. I would rather just be uh, some guy in the 1950s who self-powered his rocket in Kentucky with uh, with some kind of hooch that was uh, so powerful that was able to blow up into the moon. That's my that's my theory. I'm sticking to that. So the first person on the moon was actually a a, a moonshiner. Okay, it was not uh, the U.S. Uh, Neil Armstrong. It was a moonshiner from Kentucky. Yeah. Okay. So we're kind of hitting an hour, and I'm you know I I think keeping the episodes down to an hour works because I'm getting a lot of listeners, and uh, sometimes when you have these three four hour long episodes, I mean I personally wouldn't uh, I don't have that much time to invest into a podcast, but an hour seems just about the right time. So we kind of hit that hour. Uh, and, um, and yes, this is where we're going to finalize today's episode and tomorrow we can keep going with this sort of, um, topic, if you will, which is just to discuss the lesser known famous strange stories. So with that being said, I thank you guys from the bottom of my heart for always being here, for listening, for being part of the show. Um, help me to promote it, uh, subscribe to all our social media. If you go to strangedayslive.com. That's kind of like the gateway into our all things strange days. If you scroll to the bottom, you'll see all of our social media. And I'm kind of working on the on the Instagram one at the moment, uh, just to get a little bit more up to par. And so we have a Facebook page that's pretty desolate. If you want to join it, you're welcome. We have an Instagram account. We also have a TikTok account, believe it or not. It's pretty desolate, but it's there. But if you guys join it, it helps me. And if you're already a user of those platforms, why not? Uh, I also have the the Twitch community. The link is there. I have an X account too, X uh, slash um, Twitter. Uh, that one is not called Strange Days Live. That one's called Jesus Codex. That was the name of it, Jesus Codex. And I tend to repost stuff from the show or just silly stuff on that. And then we also have this YouTube channel. And we have the new YouTube channel that's all things art, which is at Art Bell Files. Okay. And then uh, if you visit the site as well, strangedayslive.com, you can go to our Spotify link that takes you directly to our show that if you could please subscribe to, it would help me. And then we also have our Apple podcast link that takes you into the Apple podcast show. And by you subscribing to both of those things helps me. I know I've always watched YouTube videos. I've always followed shows, but I've never really did this stuff because, you know, who can really spare five seconds in our lives? <laughs> but no, it really helps. So if you do have those five seconds uh, for you to spare and to just kind of click on all those things and, and, and subscribe, it would mean a lot to me. And I would thank you. So with that being said, uh, God bless you guys. Thank you for joining on another episode of Strange Days Live. And um, have a good night. Have a good night. I'll see you here. God be willing tomorrow. And uh, be good to one another. And God bless you all. And thank you for joining us.
Thank you.